Welcome to You Totally Made That Up. We are a bi-weekly history podcast that tells you the wildest, craziest, nuttiest stories from yesteryear. Ones that sound like somebody must have totally made them up. But they're all true. And we especially like the ones that have supernatural, paranormal, woo-woo elements. So those parts may only be true to the people who live them. We don't go for the lore says or the legend goes, though. We want dates and names and all the facts we can find. And I am Nash. And I am Tiff. We are your hosts. These are different, though. These are the mini episodes that sometimes come between the big ones. We call them spooky snacks, though they don't always have to be spooky. The key element is just being plain old nuts. And it doesn't matter if these are just legends and lore. We sneak in the facts where we can still, but nobody cares. They're all for fun. And we want you to join in on that fun. These can be based upon submissions of your personal family or hometown stories, as well as suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us discuss. And then sometimes they're just about things we want to talk about that aren't long enough for regular episodes or that are just timely related to something maybe in the news or a holiday, which happens to be the case for this episode. But real quick, be sure to hang on until after the stories are done, because in the outro, that's where you're going to hear how to get in touch with us on social media and the email address and all that good stuff. But like I say, this spooky snack, it's in honor of Easter. And we are not going to focus on Jesus or Jesus, as we or I specifically like to call him. (laughs) But we're going to focus on bunny rabbits, wascally wabbits. And I will go ahead and spill the beans. Tiff's going to tell you about some rabbity creatures. Then I'm going to tell you about the origin of the Easter bunny. And tied in with that is some Easter egg origin talk. And also, we'll just just listen. Listen. In the event, dear listener, you are really invested in Easter actually being a pagan holiday, you may want to dip when my segment starts because I might be the bearer of bad news. I'm telling you that now because the origin of the Easter Bunny is related to the origins of Easter itself. And y'all, listen, I did a major dive on this one and I'm just giving you fair warning. Things ain't what they seem. And I'm, I'm so apologizing. I apologize. Just... For those of you that are really invested in it being a pagan holiday, I'm just, I'm sorry. How's that for starting off the episode with a really encouraging note? Like, who the hell tells people not to listen? (laughs) It's because you're not sorry. You're not really. I'm not sorry. I'm I'm really not. I just, I like knowing the truth behind stuff. And it turns out Easter might not be what you think it is. So anyway, tell of the bunny creatures, please. Okay, I can do that. So let's start with the jackalope. It's a rabbit with antlers. That's all there is to it. You know, it's simple if you want to consider that simple. As far as the legends of horned rabbits, there's been documentation from the 16th century and in folklore from medieval and Renaissance times in Europe, Asia, Central America, and Africa. So here's what's said about it it's super strong, it's super fast, impossible to catch. But you might have a chance if you bait a trap with whiskey. This is my kind of bunny. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get drunk and that makes it easier to catch. Simple as that. Again, here we are. Now, okay, let me just jump in here. Do you remember, um, it wasn't America's Funniest Home Videos. It It was a show like that with Dave Coulier. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember the jackalope from that? It like oh, yeah. talked to people and like teased them. It's gonna it's gonna bother me. Um, okay, 
Do we need a Google break? Yeah. Okay, we need a Google break. A few moments later. It was called America's, wait, yep, America's Funniest People. Okay. Instead of America's Funniest Home Videos. Is that like a spinoff, I guess, maybe? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what it's considered. It's pretty much the same, just a different host. So yeah, so there's the jackalope. And here, just from Wikipedia, originally known as Tiny the Jackalope, or simply the Jackalope. It involved a creature attacking people by playing mean tricks on them. And the character's catchphrase was, fast as fast can be, you'll never catch me. 100% I remember this. Yes. Yes. I think it wore like total like early 90s. I think it even wore like like a crop top and like Zubas. <laughs> I swear to God, this thing had clothes on. Maybe not. Maybe I'm imagining some weird elf combination with the jackalope, whatever. Um. Oh, okay. So... The jackalope was later renamed Jack Chang Bada Bing in a name the jackalope contest. That that sounds racist or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't like that. Let's <laughs> what is it? Say it again. What? <laughs> it was originally Tiny the Jackalope, and then they renamed it Jack Ching Bada Bing. Yeah, something's wrong. I don't. Something's the matter. I, I can't put my finger on it, but yeah, that makes me that makes me feel weird, like uncomfortable. Like I'm not sure. I don't like it's, it. It's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable for us two white middle aged white women. We're very <laughs> uncomfortable right now. All right. Uh, so the jackalope. Let's let's get back here. So. Some say that the jackalope can not only understand human speech, but mimic it, including singing back to you, which I guess goes back to that jackalope teasing people. And female jackalope milk has healing properties and aphrodisiac effects. As far as mating, jackalopes only bump nasties during lightning storms. Having said all that, let me read you this quote. Those stories mentioning horned creatures and animal hybrids exist in cultures and texts worldwide. In the United States, the jackalope was invented by a creative hunter in Wyoming, paving the way for tourist attractions and cementing its place in classic Americana. So the story behind the jackalope is not that interesting. I think it's kind of similar to a couple stories that we've already tackled, like the hodag. That somebody just made it up, basically. Yeah, these two taxidermist brothers, Ralph and Doug Herrick, who were from Douglas, Wyoming, they were out rabbit hunting in 1932. Catch the rabbit, bring it back to the taxidermy shop, and end up setting one of the rabbits down on the table near some small deer antlers. And then Doug decided to put it together and make art. So <laughs> he does his taxidermy stuff. He attaches the antlers and he mounted it. He ended up selling it to a hotel owner for like 10 bucks and he put it up in the lobby and people loved it. It ended up actually getting stolen in like 1977. It was kind of an important little piece of town history. But it's still a big deal in Douglas, Wyoming. It's a tourist attraction out there. According to one website, the Chamber of Commerce in Douglas issues official jackalope hunting licenses to tourists, which is good for two hours on one non-existent day, June 31st. The applicant must have an IQ higher than 50, but no more than 72. <laughs> so they, so ideally, they'd like you to be on the dumbass end of things. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. That checks. No, that, that checks out. That Okay. <laughs> you know, they're having fun with it. I like it. I like it. I do. Yeah. 
But if we go back to the horned rabbits in Legends for a second, there's a thought that there could actually be a disease that affects rabbits called shop papilloma, which is a cancer that causes weird shaped bumps to grow on their heads. So, you know, yeah, that jackalope was not legit, but there may be some rabbits with some weird things growing off their heads. But that's not this next one. This next one is a special creature. This one's called the Wolpertinger, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's special. Like, wow. Mm. I'm trying to find words to be nice about it, but it's, really, it's a really sad creature. Okay, so it's got the head of a rabbit, the body of a squirrel, the antlers of a deer, the wings of a pheasant, webbed feet, and then claws and fangs. <laughs> so <laughs> this needs to be put down. <laughs> this poor creature. Kill me, kill me. <laughs> this little Frankenstein. Yeah, it's awful. So a lot of people think of it as kind of the European cousin of the jackalope. It is typically found, you know, air quotes found in Bavarian forests. But catching this doesn't require getting it drunk. To lure a Wolpertinger, you need to be a beautiful young woman or bring one with you on the hunt. Quote, Wolpertingers have a weakness for female beauty. The woman should go out into a forest at night while the moon is full and find a secluded nook where a Wolpertinger is likely to be. Hopefully the creature will soon reveal itself. When it does, the woman should expose her breasts. This will cause the Wolpertinger to instantly fall into a stupor allowing it to easily be bagged. <laughs> Classy. This, no, this was clearly, clearly made up by a bunch of horny old hunters is what this <laughs> is right here. Mm -hmm. It's nasty. It's just nasty all around. The poor Wolpertinger. And then finally, coming from Sweden, kind of Nordic, Scandinavian areas in general, is the milk hare. And the name in Swedish kind of sounds like Molnir, like Thor's hammer, and it's Mjolkær. So Mjolkær, clearly that translates. Now, witches make these for the purpose of sending them out to steal milk from their neighbor's cows. Why? Who knows? I, I don't. I don't know. Why don't they just? Why don't the witches just make a cow? Because. It's probably a lot harder to make a cow, okay? Okay. Gosh. Okay. This is how you make a milk hair. Okay. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna okay. tell you. And you can imagine trying to make a cow like this is very difficult. Cut them some slack. All right. So the milk hair is made from a whole bunch of crap. It's made from bits of wood, pieces of broom, bristles, pieces of wooden pegs, sticks, wool, fingernail clippings, hair. It's it's made out of trash, okay? It's a trash rabbit. It's a, it's a trash rabbit. <laughs> trash rabbit is the best. That's what it is. Trash rabbit. That's the title of the episode right there. <laughs> trash rabbit. You guys want to make a milk hair? You're bored in quarantine or isolation, whatever it is that you're considering this right now, socially isolated. Make a trash rabbit. It's festive. <laughs> So one of the sources says that, quote, the ingredients varied from province to province. It seems that it always had to be created on a Thursday and that three drops of blood from the left little finger were a vital ingredient. So don't forget that. If you're making a trash rabbit, don't forget Thursday 
and three drops of blood from your left little finger. Take notes. This is, this is like legit. This was serious business. There were specific people, surprise, all women, who were documented as being accused and put on trial for being witches when their neighbor's cows would dry up. And there's actually this great line regarding one of the trials, quote, the hare was reported not only to suckle milk from the cows, but also to have pulled a fearsome face and smacked the milkmaid. <laughs> Just, I kind of love this thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, how does this thing steal the milk? The hare would run back home and vomit up the milk into the witch's buckets. Now, of course, the farmers wanted to do something about the milk hares, and you could only kill it by shooting it with a silver bullet, and it would collapse and fall apart into a pile of junk. It returns from once it came. Exactly. Exactly. So you see, you couldn't just make a cow, because it would smack bitches around with (laughs) a fearsome face, and that would have to require a lot of trash. That's a lot of fingernail clippings. Yes, it is. Well, Trash Rabbit's my favorite. I don't know, though. I really like Wolpertinger. I like Frankenstein Rabbit. I like Drunk Jackalope. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, was, it was fun to learn a lot of this stuff. I mean, I knew about the Jackalope just because you go down south anywhere and there's they're all over the place. Not like legit, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you guys have your choice for your Easter Bunny traditions if you want to step up your game or if you want to maybe frighten some children. That could be something. Because, you know, the Easter Bunny, there's no real, like, consequences for Easter. Like, for for Christmas, you'd be like, oh, Santa's got his naughty and nice list and, you know, whatever else. Tooth Fairy, you have to have clean teeth and put them under your pillow, all these other things. But the Easter Bunny, no, the Easter Bunny's just going to be there. You're going to find the eggs. You get kicked in the face. (laughs) them big old rabbit feet <laughs> so there you go that's uh that's your bunny business all right now I, I need you i need to know about what's going on with easter because i mean i know what i know about easter from my upbringing from catholic church and and all of that kind of stuff right right so yeah i'm here to wish you a happy easter and destroy it <laughs> all right i'm sold yeah so i would like to wish you a happy Easter from the ancient Germanic goddess Ustra and her adorable bird-turned-hair companion who has laid colorful eggs as a symbol of fertility during a springtime festival held in this deity's honor. Except I can't. I mean, I'm sure they would wish you a happy Easter, even though there's no substantive evidence that they were ever part of any folklore. They would if they could, but they can't. So whoopsies. But I want to be clear on something. Y'all know that I'm a skeptic at heart. And though I was raised in a Christian household, I've been a one foot over the line into atheism brand of agnostic for quite some time. And I tell you that to tell you this. I couldn't care less about the whole it's pagan. No, it's Judeo-Christian thing. I'm just reporting the facts. I ain't got a dog in this fight or, you know, a a Wolpertinger, a liquored up (laughs) Wolpertinger in this fight. (laughs) Let us begin with the non-existent Easter goddess and bead the bullshitter. And I figure I may as well kick this off with a hard drop. There is but one reference to a pagan goddess 
named Ustra. And let me spell that for you. It's E-O-S-T-R-E. So, you know, Easter. Okay. Also sometimes known as Ostara, but its source leaves much to be desired. An English monk called Bede, and it could be Beady. I couldn't really figure it out. It's B-E-D-E. And maybe Steed Bonnet from the pirate episode is still on my mind, but in my mind, I'm, I'm calling him Bede. So we're just going to go with it. So Bede writes a book called De Temporum Ration, or The Reckoning of Time. I probably butchered the Latin. I'm cool with it. It was written in 725, and it was about this ongoing nattering amongst various Christian groups about when exactly Easter was. And by that, I mean to say they were fussing over when did Jesus do his die and rise. So Bede's jam was working out a calculation for his fellow monks so that this could be settled. And in doing all this, he goes to town on calendars in general. He talked about the traditional Old English names of the months, breaking down the etymology, and he proposed that some seem to stem from agriculture cycles. So for example, Wade Monoth, aka Weed Month, he put as August, or Thrymilsamonoth or Three Milkings, which he put as May. Okay, I'm not tracking with you, Beadster, but I'm also not from the 8th century. <laughs> then he postulates on some that he thought referred to pagan tradition. There's Halgamonoth or Holy Month, which he tacked to September, saying that it was a month of sacred rites that had to do with harvest. Then he asserts that two were named after goddesses. Herethmanoth, March, after Heretha, and Oostramanoth, or April, after Oostra. Now, the problem with this, there are no references to a goddess called Oostra, like, anywhere. So, what the what, Bede? And <laughs> the what, according to some scholars, is that Bede didn't have the first damn clue as to where Oostramanoth came from, because that was an actual word. That was a word. But he didn't have a clue where it came from, so he just made the goddess up to tie a nice little bow on all his etymology fact droppings. But, okay, let's just say that there was a goddess named Ustra who people honored in springtime with get-togethers. It would leave you wondering why Charlemagne, who was the German dude who ended up Holy Roman Emperor, yeah, who modified the Julian calendar, why would he go with Aprilis? When he did that, which is how we get April, if there was this well-known goddess, Ustra, who is associated with springtime rites and all that stuff. Okay. This is Ustra erasure. I don't like it. <laughs> right. So then the flip argument is, oh, well, that again has to do with Christian people trying to excise the whole pagan thing. Okay. But again, I'll say Bede was a monk. Bede was a Christian. And he was happy to include the supposed pagan roots of the, okay. The whole thing is a mess. I hope, I hope I've made that clear. Here's the problem, though. There's zero evidence of anything to do with this. Like I say, there's zero evidence, not just of the name of the goddess, no symbols, no rituals, no ceremonies, nothing that are associated with some Ustra in Anglo-Saxon England pagan circles. So if Ustra was super popular, popular enough for Christians to do the co-opting, then there should be some evidence of a source. Because understand, Christians had been doing the Easter thing since, at minimum, the second century, way before they would have hypothetically met these Ustra devotees in order to snitch ideas from them. 
So point is Easter as a Christian celebration has been happening for about 1300 years. There's records of all of it. This Easter chick would have come up and this isn't some big conspiracy. The old school historians weren't hiding some big secret about theft of concepts from pagans. And how do we know that? Because they pony up when they have. Here's an example. You've heard of the Anglo-Saxon deities, Woden and Thor, right? Wednesday and Thursday, meet your namesakes. And related on the subject of other deities, Thor and Woden are paralleled in Germanic and proto-Christian traditions. And there's plenty more in other cultures, like think Greek Roman gods, like how Aphrodite and Venus are essentially the same thing. There's all kinds of overlap like this, yet there's none of that same overlap for beads, gals, Ustra or Herethra, that goddess of March that I mentioned. And yeah, Bede probably invented the goddess Herethra too. So dang it, Bede. Oh, come dang on. Dang it. Dang it, Bede. I will say that here in a second, because it's more in line with the bunny talk, so I'm saving it for that part of my spiel because I'm going after the bunnies, of course. I mentioned a dude who claimed he could kind of see a parallel with a Celt goddess, but it is such the shaky connection because it's based on the bizarre thing that is touted about Ustra and this bird that she turned into a rabbit. Yes, you heard me right. <laughs> we'll get there. But this Celt goddess was called Abnoba, and based upon my admittedly cursory dive into this aspect of it, it's touted by numerous blogs and wikis and whatnot as a goddess of the hunt. And of course, being female, you know what's coming next. You throw a rock at any female deity in any culture, and any that you hit will have this on their CV. Either they'll be primarily functioning as a goddess of fertility and love and sexuality and all that, or some slash all of that will be listed as a subfunction. Just look at the bottom line is that Bede wasn't exactly the best go-to for origin stories. So what about Ostara, the alt version of Ustra's name? Well, a certain linguist, folklorist, and author named Jacob Grimm, yep, of those Grimm's, Ooh. seemed to want to believe Sneaky Bede, and he tried to find an explanation, saying in his 1835 book, Deutsch of Teutonic Mythology, that maybe Ustra was some sort of local version, local to Bede, that is, of a widespread, quote-unquote widespread Germanic goddess, one whom Grimm named Ostara. Now, make sure you caught that. Not who was named Ostara or who was called Ostara. Grimm named this mystery goddess himself. And historians can't find evidence of her, that she ever existed anywhere except in, haha, Grimm's fairy tale. So to sum up, Ostara is purportedly in Germanic folklore, except she's not, at least not anywhere except in Grimm's imagination, evidence-wise. And Ustra was supposedly an Anglo-Saxon goddess, except she's not because there's no evidence in pagan sources. And the only Christian source she pops up in was in your boy Bede's book. We now move on to pagan versus Judeo-Christian traditions and myths. We touched on tradition and deity overlap a little bit, but let's dig deeper. A common sentiment is that Easter was, quote, changed, you know, air quotes, changed to being a Christian thing from a pagan thing when Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire. But no, seems that Constantine converted to Christianity in 312, and interestingly, the next year he actually decreed that there should be toleration of all religions, the point being to end the continued, albeit down to periodic, persecutions of Christians. But he didn't demand that the citizens under his rule convert. Smart dude, because he would have alienated all of the pagans. Turns out, a healthy amount of the higher class folks were pagan, and he needed their support and involvement. Bottom line, 
The Roman Empire was not formally declared a Christian state till Theodosius, who proclaimed it as the official religion in 380. Constantine had died about 43 years prior. Still, I can possibly see where the rumor started, as Constantine seemed to be the first big deal figure who was open about his Christianity, and it also might have piggybacked off of the work of the First Council of Nicaea, which went down in 325. So, you know, not after he kicked the old Roman sigilla. Because basically, the council aimed to settle disputes happening amongst the Christian churches. And while they were at it, they ruled on when celebrations of Easter should go down. And as mentioned, B. the baller was still dealing with it in his time. And this was, it seems, a very big deal. There was a dude named Eusebius, historian, later bishop, straight out of Caesarea. And he said that there had been fussing happening all the way back to 190. And their Easter bonnets were bee heavy because they, and I don't know who they is, you know, they couldn't decide, yeah, couldn't decide whether to make Easter a whole week, a la the Jewish Passover, or just on a Sunday, since they were convinced that Jesus died on a springtime Friday, meaning the rise happened on a Sunday. The west side of the empire was doing it up on just the one day, and the east was kicking it all week. The council ends up going with just Sundays and said this new jam would start on the first Sunday that followed the first full moon after March 21st. Now, a mention in one of my sources notes that some attest Passover itself has roots in prehistoric Semitic spring festivals, but I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Ha ha ha. Rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) Knock yourselves out. You guys can go down that road yourselves. Point is, Easter is related to the aforementioned vernal equinox, that full moon thing, because it coincides with Passover. It's a Judeo-Christian thing, guys. It's not a ripoff of a pagan festival. Best historians know via the evidence. And I'm sorry, my pagan friends. I am sorry. Legit. Next up, hares and bunnies and eggs. Oh, my. And jackalopes. And milk hares. I love that milk hare. There's no eggs or animals of the rabbit persuasion in biblical gospel narratives. So the assumption was it must have stemmed from a pagan tradition. You'll see things pop up in social media feeds, images touting some Christians' claims that eggs symbolize Christ's rebirth. But what and why and whatever? There's evidence of medieval Christians decorating eggs and then eating them at Easter. And that actually might have a logical reason, at least beyond folks of Ukrainian descent carrying on a tradition that past generations might have brought over when migrating. And more on that in a second. Many religions across the board have guidelines for some heavy rules surrounding fasting for lots of reasons. You can look that up yourself. And some of those are part of festivals and such throughout the liturgical calendar, meaning the designated times for public community celebrations. In the evidence pile for Easter, there's a festal letter from this guy, Athanasius, in 330, who talks about a 40-day fast that ended on Easter Sunday. Fasting can mean a variety of things. Total abstaining, sure, but even Jesus would give you a side eye over 40 days of nothing. I mean, you ain't rising from anything after that. Right. But lots of times it was just cutting out certain things, just certain foods. And many of those are specifically about food from animals. So there's meat to be sure. But in addition to that, the products of the animals, meaning milk, cheese, butter, and say it with me now, eggs. No refrigerators. (laughs) No refrigerators. Slight delay. Ever so slight delay. No refrigerators means lots of wasted food. So the people had to eat up what they had and, duh, not slaughter for meat. Don't milk the cows or the goats and don't make any butter or cheese. Well, that part's easy. 
But chickens don't give a rat's ass about calendars and religion. They're going to keep cranking out the goods. And again, not eating them in real time means a 40-day sulfur cloud looming over the area. Reason dictates that they boiled them. So problem solved. I mean, I wouldn't crack open a month-old boiled egg, but folks of the yesteryears had bellies that could handle a lot of things that would have us hugging porcelain thrones for weeks. I mean, yeah. and I mean, that's another discussion, (laughs) one that I cannot promise we will ever have. (laughs) So it took a bazillion years to make cheese and butter was no quick work and neither was curing meat. Those wouldn't be ready for Sunday. You know, the Sunday that the fast was over. And sure, you could pop out and milk something and lay waste to some cow for fresh steaks. But hell, you know, to cover everybody, you'd have to knock off more than one, way more than one, probably to the detriment of the sustainability of a mini herd on a given family farm. Realistically, most of the feast would be any nasty salted out jerky that somebody had left over from pre-fasting, more vegetables and fish and bread, which would all suck. But wait, oh, but wait, eggs, cock-a-darn-diddly-do. So in the week before Easter, they'd have been boiling like crazy, one would think, as part of the prep for the major gullet stuffing coming up on Sunday. There's references to eggs getting glammed up to be extra festive, at least as early as the 13th century. And I suppose it's not a stretch to say that they were beyond happy to have at least one of their food options back on deck and wanted to make things extra special. I mean, you can't like glitter up fish and potatoes, so go for the eggs. In any event, The fast-related thing is the most logical reason regarding the Easter Egg Association. And as I mentioned, maybe a touch of family tradition, which brings me to the next part, rabbit season. There's another book called Deutsch Mythology, this one from 1874. And the author, Adolf Holtzman, talked about the German Easter hare, which historians are certain of is where the Easter bunny comes from, and speculated on its possible source. What he suggested is reportedly the first documented instance of a certain somebody. Perhaps you've heard of her. Spoiler alert, it's Ostara. Quote, The Easter hare is inexplicable to me, but probably the hare was the sacred animal of Ostara, just as there is a hare on the statue of the Celtic goddess Abnoba. And we covered how people were trying to tie Ostara to Abnoba, so fine, I'm tracking with him. But what's up with the hare laying the eggs? What does old Adolf have to say about that? Well. Quote, by the way, the hare must have once been a bird because it lays eggs. Well, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not? The essence. <laughs> not how evolution works. No. no. I'm pretty sure. No. The essence of the current party line is that Ostara transformed a bird into a hare. And because it was once a bird, it retained its ability to lay eggs. And to thank Ostara for what she'd done. No clue why she did it. But if the hare's cool, then I'm cool. It lays a bunch of colored eggs to spruce up her festival. Fine. Moving forward. In 1883, a book by one K.A. Oberell hit the shelves. And if you speak 19th century German and you want to check out the original, Godspeed. I'll link it in show notes. And he got super specific. Quote, Some time ago, the question was raised how it came that, according to South German still prevailing folklore, the hare is believed by children to lay the Easter eggs. I venture now to offer a probable answer to it. Originally, the hare seems to have been a bird, which the ancient Teutonic goddess Ostara, the Anglo-Saxon Ustra, as Bede calls her, transformed into a quadruped. For this reason, the hare, in grateful recollection of its former quality as a bird and swift messenger of the spring goddess, is able to lay eggs on her festival at Easter time. 
as specific as that was. I feel like it was better off as a bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but whatever, okay. <laughs> but whatever. Now, there's no specific sourcing, even though he was very specific. But did you catch that shout out to Bede? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there was, beyond the mention of Bede, there was a mention of a general source. The super trustworthy Adolf Holtzman. So this is a giant circle jerk, is my point. <laughs> giant circle jerk. Bede made this up. Holtzman is basing his stuff off of Bede. And then this next guy comes in and he's quoting Holtzman who got his stuff from Bede who made it up because Bede's a bullshitter. Okay. (laughs) Shifting gears slightly, but stay with me. Let us journey to the way back when in the Ukraine, they had a folktale about the origins of Pisanka, AKA painted eggs. But that definition is actually incorrect because Pisanka are not painted. They're written on via beeswax dyeing technique. They're absolutely stunning, by the way. The side of my family with Eastern European roots blessed us of the newer generation by passing down these Christmas ornaments that are fashioned in this style. They're my absolute favorites. They're absolutely beautiful. I'll stick a picture in show notes. The short version for their existence is based on passed down folk tales and analyzation done of symbols on what archaeological samples have been found. That back in the pre-Christian era, their purpose was warding off evil to keep the world going, keep nature growing the ongoing rebirth of plants and animals, and making the sun deity happy. A lot to put on the uh, on eggs. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Because of that sun deity element, if it's correct, because again, brittle eggshells and faded symbols call for educated guesses versus hard truths, but because of that element of the Pisanka thing, an argument could be made that it should be filed under pagan. Then because the Ooster thing is touted as pagan, And because nature springs back to life from winter in, well, you know, spring, and I'm assuming because rabbits mate like their tails are on fire, the whole shebang was rolled into this big, fantastic ball of nature goddess, bunny rabbit, spring equinox, pretty eggs, untruth. And so, friends, I say all that to say, Christians have melded stuff and mutated folktales and nicked from a variety of cultural traditions to suit their religion, there is no doubt. We could do endless episodes on things that Christians claim as facts that have zero evidentiary basis. It just seems like here, as time rolled on, this is something that pagans got duped by when legends and some outright lies got published as indisputable fact. And, you know, as far as untruths go, this seems minor. Yeah. Who cares, truly? Who cares? Is this Easter customs thing really that important? Because isn't the time that you spend, just for holidays in general, not just Easter, but the time you spend with your family and your friends and having fun with kids and Easter egg hunts and all that stuff, that's what's more important. I mean, you know, hell, be like be. Just make up your own traditions. Just make it up. Just you do you. You don't have to adhere to anything. And besides, so much candy is about to be on sale. That's the important part, you guys. The day after, that Monday after, you go and get 50% off Giant Bunnies. Yes. And you bite their ears off. And replace it with antlers. And replace and feed it whiskey. Yeah. And then see if it'll go suck off a cow and vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and it might kick you in the face. You don't know. Can we issue a challenge with this episode? Hmm. I want to see people make milk hairs. I want to see creations. I want, I want people to do this. It's made out of trash. please make a trash rabbit and send us the picture (laughs) or you know photoshop together a monstrosity of a wolpertinger 
Like make your own whooper tinger. All you got to do is start with a rabbit head. That's the only requirement. You got to start with a rabbit head. But otherwise, that whooper tinger can be anything. Yeah. I know that plenty of people, you got time on your hands right now. You do have time on your hands. (laughs) You're not leaving your house. Do something with all that garbage. But, you know, maybe not the nail clipping. So I don't know if I want to see that. No, don't. Don't prick your finger on sundown on Thursdays or whatever the hell it said. Yeah, don't do that. Or do. I want to know what happens. Okay. Well, that that would be Tiff's. And I'm not, (laughs) that is not me. Nash does not, does not condone nor endorse nor. Just clean it, sanitize it. I don't know. Well, I am going to conclude with this because I feel like we need to give you some truth. I mean, we've given you a lot of truth, but it's been, you know, somewhat disappointing. And I don't want to end on a bummer. So we're going to close with my favorite quote from my research. Some still claim Ustra's name is the root of the word estrogen, ignoring that human eggs are microscopic and that the real etymology of estrogen, in fact, relates to the gadfly. Now, I bet you didn't think that this would conclude with estrogen and gadflies. And yet, I can think of no stranger point upon which to end this convoluted episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. All right. And uh, happy Easter. Hippity hops to you. Happy Easter. Happy. Oh, God. I don't, I don't, I don't endorse any of this. <laughs> this is where the catchphrase goes. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, you can check out our sources for each of the episodes at show notes, along with any supplemental things we think you might enjoy. Visit us on our blog at youtotallymadethatup.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at YTMTUPodcast and on Instagram at youtotallymadethatup. Feel free to contact us on those platforms, and you can also email us. That address is youtotallymadethatup at gmail.com.